Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes, and it is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So Brian Dable spoke to the media earlier today. We'll get to the injury news off the top and then we'll get into the matchup with the Buffalo Bills Sunday night football the fourth primetime game in the first six to start this season for the Giants night games has been a very popular destination for them but Daniel Jones popular destination yes not popular results. No, of course. That goes without saying. That's why I was just sticking to the logistics okay. and the layout of the Making land. Making sure not we, necessarily we got that straight. Oh, 100%. I didn't need clarification, but I'm glad that you provided it from that standpoint. In all seriousness, though, Daniel Jones had not practiced each of the last two days, so Brian Dable has officially ruled him out. Paul, it's not a surprise. Whenever your quarterback is not out there, Wednesday I thought was a bit of a red flag, and he admitted that he was feeling soreness. And when you take into consideration the fact that not to say it's identical because Daniel Jones and Brian Dable weren't necessarily providing a great deal of details, but remember, we went through this in 2021 when he suffered a neck injury and he was in that gray area of practicing. We went through the situation every week and then he wound up missing the final six games. I'm not saying that he's going to miss a big chunk of games, but I thought the writing was on the wall that everything was trending in the direction of Tyrod Taylor making the start. I think if you'd like to read the tea leaves, yeah, and I'm not going to speculate, but what I I will do is just raise issue. Coach said that after practice today, they will have a conversation, uh, the general manager and the front office and the folks about possible injured reserve people. That kind of poked my ears up like Mr. Spock. I was like, okay, hmm, who are we talking about here? I hope, I hope he's not talking about Daniel Jones, but when asked about any potential IR guys, and Dable said they would have that conversation after practice today. 
made made it sound like at least there's somebody they're thinking about putting on the list. Sure. Well, on top of that, we should add their Thomas. several offensive linemen, and Andrew Thomas could be a candidate, Paul, for what you're talking about. John Michael Schmitz is now going to miss another game, too. Yeah. So you don't know with so respect to shoulder injury. Ojalari and Matt Pert has been ruled mm-hmm. out. So they're down three offensive linemen, one of their top pass rushers, as well as Daniel Jones. And this has been a prevalent storyline since the start of the season. There's been injuries everywhere, and unfortunately... The timeline for the return of these players is very much iffy because, Paul, when we're talking about soft tissue injuries, especially with Andrew Thomas, and this is what happened, what, about a week or two ago, you get back out on the practice field, it may look encouraging, but then it all depends on what you feel the following day. And Andrew did not get to the point where he fully recovered the following day, and that's why they essentially had to shut him down. If there's only uh, one tiny piece of silver lining here, it's that uh, Saquon Barkley was not in that conversation today. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so the I door mean, is remaining open. Do yeah. you know? Again, the injury list is very long, but in terms of guys who are quote out of practice today, uh, that list does not have uh, any new new uh, additions to it outside of uh, Matthew Parrott, who has been off and on injured for the last several weeks. And then Gary Brightwell popped up on not practicing yesterday. So Mm -hmm. we'll wait to see what Friday's practice report looks at. I'm just looking at the Thursday list. Micah McFadden was limited Thursday. Wondell Robinson, they're taking it easy because of the ACL injury from last season. So I wouldn't read too much into that. So, you know, there's a few guys that have been in and out of the lineup. Darren Waller did return to a limited practice on Thursday. So hopefully that's encouraging. But I think the big name to watch is Saquon. Has he missed enough games to now get to the point where he feels he can get through a contest against the Buffalo Bills and add another weapon to help Tyrod Taylor as they try to solve, okay, we know there's offensive line issues, but this is a Buffalo Bills defense, Paul, that leads the NFL in sacks with 21, (laughs) and here's the other thing. They lead the NFL in takeaways with 13. That's another number that you can't dismiss. So it's twofold. They've been opportunistic, and they've been very effective in getting after the quarterback. That's more of a reason why if you can establish a run game, it's not to say that it's all of a sudden going to give you three or four touchdowns, but it can at least alleviate the pass rush if you can have some success on the ground. Well, I think it's important to note, and as we always talk to Wink Martindale, and he claims that you know points are obviously the most important stat to him, even though he talks about red zone and third down and stuff. The Bills are tied for fifth, and uh, I'm sorry, tied for third. So third, where I did scribble five. I scribbled five, uh, tied for fifth in the league, allowing only 16 points a game uh, by the opponent. Um, with the way the Giants are offensively challenged right now, I mean, how many points do you think the Giants are going to score against them? I mean, is the Giants' defense almost going to have to shut out the Bills in order to win this game? Because it's it's hard to fathom. And folks, I'm you know I'm not telling you something you don't know. The Giants have scored over 16 points only once all season. That was the 31 point outburst against the Arizona Cardinals. And that was two quarters. By in the way. a historic yeah. comeback. So, I mean. How likely is it that they're going to put up more than two touchdowns? If that, it might be a touchdown and two field goals if they get that. I mean, this is this is a very tall mountain to climb. Well, they did not score an offensive touchdown against the Miami Dolphins. Remember, I'm taking that touchdown off the board. That wasn't the offense. That was Jason Pinnock. 
Yep. So last game, we're talking about field goals. They had three against the Seahawks. Against the Niners, they had one. The Cardinals, you referenced, and the Cowboys, they were shut out. So you can't go into this game thinking that all of a sudden you're going to get this breakout performance when it has not happened over the course of specifically four quarters. And we talked about this Buffalo defense is banged up. But, I mean, Miami was down Jalen Phillips. And, you know, they were able to mount some pressure and apply that on the Giants throughout the game. So I'm not looking at this Buffalo Bills defense and saying, well, they don't have Matt Milano, their key linebacker. They're down Tredavious White, you their star the... corner. And all of a sudden it's going to be a layup line for the Giants. Lance, it's time we stop thinking about how banged up or how shorthanded the opposition might be. I agree. Yep. It's time we just look at the Giants. And, you know, I said it the other day with John on the show, and I'm going to say it to you now. The car has a flat tire and a busted carburetor. Man, if you can get it out of the garage, God bless you. If you can get it out of the driveway, that's a miracle. Now try taking it on the turnpike. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, that it's reality, folks. It's what it is. So please, please, with the limited resources that they have this week, I don't want to hear on Overreaction Monday all the anger and all the vitriol and all the venom and, and all of the, the toxin that angry fans are going to want to spew if they don't beat the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football. Because this deck of cards is heavily stacked against them once again. So, you know, we, we all know 2 plus 2 equals 4. We know the story. We, we understand this is a long shot. You never say never. Of course, that's what competition's all about. You still have to play. Josh Allen threw some horrible interceptions against the Jets and gave and gave them life. Since then, he's been much better, though. No question. Yeah. But the point is, hey, you still have to play the game. Do you want the team to win, folks? Absolutely you do. Do you think they got a one-in-whatever chance to do it? They always have a chance to do it as long as they put a team on the field. But don't kid yourself into thinking that, uh, you know, they're not deeply, deeply in a hole right now. It's one of those games where it goes back to what we talked about, Paul, last week against the Miami Dolphins, and I think we even received some caller feedback on this. If you get multiple turnovers, can you make this a game? And I look at the Miami I got three. Game, that's what I was going to bring up. I Ten don't know, points off of yeah, three turnovers. I don't think it's so simple to say if Josh Allen, to your point, if he has one of those head-scratching games, right, where he's obsessed with throwing the home run, he wants to air it out to Stephon Diggs, and he's not just taking what the defense gives him. And let's say the Giants get a few takeaways. I don't think that's enough on the surface to say the Giants absolutely win this football game because I need to know what you're doing with those takeaways. And you look at the Correct. last game, they got the defensive score, they got a field goal, and the other one, they didn't do anything with it. So if you wind up scoring 10 points off of three takeaways again, I'm not convinced that's enough. That's why time of possession and takeaways are the two things when it comes to the Giants this season. It's not winning those battles. It's what happens on the other side of those battles. And right now, the Giants are just, they're not capitalizing, even if they get an edge in a certain facet. Even in the Bills' two losses this year, they scored 16 points and 20 points. I ask you again, based on what we know right now about this Giants offense, the way it's constructed and the way the, 
the replacement parts are having to fill in. Do you believe the Giants can score 20 points? Right now, my answer would be no. There's no evidence to justify that. And I would also argue the Jets' defense in a bit of better shape than the Giants, if you were to make that comparison in terms of the games that Buffalo had some low-scoring affairs. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the Jaguars game. The two things that popped out to me that Jacksonville was able to capitalize on, they established the run, Paul. Okay, Travis Etienne had some big splash runs, and he got into the end zone. Yeah. And we know, based on the Miami game, the Giants, they just were not able to manufacture a run game. And if you get down early, and they know you're going to pass, Von Miller, even if he plays 25 snaps, and if Gregory Rousseau comes back, they've got enough up front that they're going to know the Giants are predictable from that standpoint. The other thing that hurt Buffalo, and you can never bank on this, is high volume of penalties. A very sloppy-ish game, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, and that gave Jacksonville field position. But the way the Jaguars' offense is operating, the way the Giants' offense is operating, are on opposite ends of the spectrum. So if you were to say, all right, I'm going to give Jacksonville short fields, I think right now you feel good. Trevor Lawrence and company can punch it in. You give Tyrod Taylor and the Giants' offense short fields, you're not nearly as confident that they're going to be able to punch it in. So that's why any markings, and you and I, we did this exercise, Paul, last week, where we were looking at how do you beat Miami? And we were not saying that the Giants are identical to the opposition. It was just, okay, if you had some glimpse of what the Giants need to do. Okay, well, we're doing the same mode of operation with Buffalo, and I just don't see it matching up with what the Giants are working with right now. Well, again, it's a car without a fourth wheel. I mean, look, if Barkley plays, we'd love to be able to say that gives them a significantly better chance. We'd love to say that. But A, he's bound to be rusty. B, the offensive line he's going to be playing behind. Yep. Well, with all due respect to anyone who puts on an NFL uniform on Sunday, the Giants are talking about possibly having to play guys they just picked off the street in the last couple of weeks. I mean, your expectations have to be tempered. They have to be. Well, speaking of playing guys that they may have just brought in off the street, let's just quickly look at this offensive line right now. And I'm not trying to make light of this situation, but in terms of who they actually are going to throw out there, Paul, Andrew Thomas, John Michael Schmitz, we mentioned they're down. Matt Paird is not an option at tackle. So, I mean, right now in terms of full health, because remember, I know Marcus McKeithen, it's not serious, but, you know, he came out of the last game. He was nicked up. Yeah. Lemieux did not uh, play the last game. He was banged up. And, and neither one of those guys are exactly uh, spry and dancing around right now, injury-free. Sure. So Who's healthy? I mean, you got Ben Bredesen at center. You got Evan Neal at right tackle. Azudu at left tackle. But remember, they took Azudu out of the game. But I'm going to go with Azudu. Neal's hurt. Neal has an ankle injury. But mm-hmm. it's not at the point where they've ruled him out. No. So no. you hope that they at least have him to man the right tackle position. I guess the better question is, are there any offensive linemen, and you have it in front of you, I, I, I'm i I'm a blur right now. Yeah. How many offensive linemen are not on the Giants' injury report? How about we go there? Okay. Well, not on the injury report, as I also bring up <laughs> the report from the other day. Just pre- 
Just yeah. go get the practice squad list. <laughs> well, those guys are not on no, the injury report. Yeah, because McKeithen and Lemieux are both on the injury report. Correct. Even though they were limited, they're that's both why on the injury I'm, yeah. I'm going in reverse. Well, you're here. talking about Jalen Mayfield and Jalen Thomas, right? Okay? So those are the Justin two guys. Justin Pugh. Yes, Justin Pugh, and then Jordan Kajust, who they just picked up off the street, who was the former New England Patriot. There you go. And I would find hard to believe. I mean, remember, Pugh wasn't ready to roll out. Do you really think Kajust would be ready to go? This weekend, when they just added to the it. roster, I would doubt it. I find that very hard to believe. I'm not even sure that Pew's ready to go this yeah, week. Yeah, well, I mean, Pew spoke to the media the other day, and he said he's making progress. Right. But I mean, he wasn't necessarily guaranteeing that if they put him out there for an entire game. I mean, I think he worded it. He said, "Listen, if they needed him for a snap, a guy had a shoelace that needed to be tied." And did he say that? Him, he did say that. He said, "All right, I could go in for a play or two. And once again, I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just laying out the facts of what the player said. So. This is what the Giants are situation-wise in, where you're really going deep and deep into the depth chart, and you may need to entertain, not necessarily playing, but you have to maybe entertain having some of these guys that just joined the roster active, Paul. Yes. Right? That's why I asked you the question in reverse. Sure. No, that's a good way to put it. And even though Bredesen is not on the injury report in any way, if you've watched the games... He's taken his share of, oh, of sure. bumps and bruises, Well, he had too. a bloody nose against the yes, Dolphins. Yes, he right? had to come out. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know if that was brought up by anyone on the previous shows or you had conversations, but Bredesen did clarify this week and because a lot of people thought it was a concussion. No, 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 no. No, that's why I'm saying that he spoke to the media earlier Correct. this week and he said the ref looked at him, said he had a bloody nose, and yes. said, listen, you got to go to the sideline and take care of that. And that's why he missed a few And plays. that blood was leaking pretty, uh, yeah. pretty heavily, too. Sure. So, but at least Bredesen, to your point, he's been banged up in terms of the hits, but no official injury yes. of concern, at least at this point. Yeah. So that's what the Giants are looking at against the Buffalo Bills defensive front. That is actually the healthiest aspect of the team, by the way. Well, they're hurt in the middle and on the back end, not in the front, though. It's it's so nice that you mentioned some of the pass rushers and the edge guys earlier in the program, because quite frankly, Ed Oliver's having a bust out season. This is the kind of year that when everybody was looking for the next Aaron Donald and Ed Oliver came out of the University of Houston a few years back and a lot of folks said, well, he's got exactly the same dimensions as Aaron Thomas. He's going to be the next one in that wave because everybody wants the next Aaron Tom- Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Yeah. Well, he'd been an underachiever his first three years in Buffalo. Not this year. He is busting out. And, and wow. Yeah, he's he's just he's all over the place. He's playing extremely well, and he's and he's getting into the pocket. Here's another guy that deserves a note: AJ Epinesa, who had a bit of a breakout campaign last season, mm-hmm. but this season, Paul, he has been significant. And by the way, I'm not just talking about his ability to get after the quarterback. If you watch the Jaguars game and even the numbers, his length affords him to deflect passes, and he's been doing that consistently each and every game. So this is a game where if you're Tyrod Taylor. Yes, it goes without saying you got to worry about the pressure, but you also got to worry about the Bills are very good at batting balls down at the line of scrimmage because of the length and the depth that they have. And Leonard Floyd, by the way, this was something we talked about this offseason when we were previewing the opponents. And remember, Von Miller went down on Thanksgiving last season with the torn ACL. Bills pass rush completely different second half of the season. Mm -hmm. And they went into this offseason saying, 
if Vaughn's not ready to go, which he wasn't, we need to make sure we have some other options. Leonard Floyd, maybe not a splash play every game, but I think he's had enough of an impact to complement the Ed Olivers and the A.J. Epineses. That's why this team has 21 sacks. Von Miller just got back. He played 18 snaps against the Jaguars. So you can't tell me this is Von Miller doing all the heavy lifting. He's barely scratched the surface. This is the rest of the group being extremely productive. So like some of the other pass rushing groups that the Giants have seen, it's not you got to worry about one guy and where he's lined up. You have to worry about multiple pieces. They're going to test you all dimensions on this offensive line for the Giants. And how they navigate that will tell an awful lot about how the early stages of the game is going to go. And, you know, the other thing that I want to touch on real briefly before we open up the phone lines, this is Tyrod Taylor's opportunity to play his former team. This is Brian Dable's opportunity Mm -hmm. to play his former team. And they're not robots. There's going to be human emotion, Paul, involved in this. We could sit here and say that these guys are going to focus on the task at hand. I I think that's a talking point. I don't think there's much validity behind that. I think if you had a heart-to-heart with Taylor, you had a heart-to-heart with Dable, they would tell you, this is different. This game is different. You know, I had an opportunity on the latest Giants huddle. I talked with Tony Dungy. Dungy went back to Tampa a year after he was fired as the head coach. And he told me, because I brought this up with him, he said, yeah, it's very easy to say on the surface, it's just another game. It was not another game for him. He wanted to win at mm-hmm. all costs. Now, I'm not saying that's going to have a detrimental impact on the game, but it's going to be on the minds of those two individuals in particular. And it's funny, for the lack of a better phrase, how timing is everything. You know, Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately, Daniel go Jan- Daniel Jones goes down with a neck injury, and the first opportunity he gets is against his former team. You know, the only thing I would add to that, though, is it waters down somewhat when you've been with so many different organizations. Dable's been with a handful in the NFL. Sure. So is Tyrod Taylor. So it's a little bit different than if you were just with one organization for a long time and then you have to come back and play them. That, to me, is something very real and guys can deny it all they want. There's going to be something burning under the surface. But when you've bounced around a bit and and Dable, you know, has mentioned this, he says, look, I've, I've been in this game for well over a couple of decades and I've been with a bunch of different organizations it's just it's just another another game. I think there's more to that line of thought when you have been in in various places before. The only thing I will add though Paul, this is his first trip back to Buffalo since working there. I get your thought process about he's done this a few times, but this is the first trip to Buffalo. For example, like if they went to New England, I would say Brian's been there and done that. Oh. It's a little and the bit Jets, different. for example. Sure, yeah, but he's been to those places just like I'd have to look it up. I'm assuming Tyrod's been back to Buffalo because it's been quite some time. It has been quite a so number of years. So maybe for him, that holds more weight. But for Dable, this is the first official trip, and he's also from there. Tyrod's not from there. That's true. So I think that changes things a little bit as well from that stamp. But just some other food for thought in terms of the other storylines and the narratives connected to the game. few reminders before we open up the phone lines here. The Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform as well as Giants.com slash podcasts. As far as tickets go, season tickets are available, but also single tickets are available and they're on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat and the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right. 
Let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We check in with James in Georgia here with us on BBKL. What's happening, James? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hi. You're right. What's on your mind? Nothing much. I got a couple things. Hopefully, we'll try to get through this one. Y'all won't, you know, call me an idiot or laugh at me when I'm done. But I'm in a good mood today. So, uh, a thing, you, Paul, you brought up was like we have to temper expectations, and we really do because I believe at one point in the game we was playing, we were playing with five guards on the offensive line. Like that's not a good recipe for anybody, you know. Uh, I think um, last, like this year's schedule is the reverse of last year's schedule where we're heading into what would be easier games if we wasn't super banged up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year we had our easier games toward the beginning and then we ran and, you know, kind of slowed down some when we met harder, uh, you know, competition and all. And I think this year's schedule was put together in just kind of the reverse. We're heading into our easier game before the bye week, if easy is even a word we can use right now. The mountains are, are are a bit easier to climb following yeah, the yeah, Buffalo yeah. game. That does not yeah, mean yeah, they yeah. are not mountains. Yeah. And it does not yeah. mean yeah, yeah. that you can just walk right up the, to the top of the peak. But but the yeah, mountains yeah. are less daunting. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the best yeah. way to put it is the records of the upcoming opponents are different than who they've already played. Yeah. That's the way that I would put it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's easier or not because I don't think there's any layup lines for the Giants right now. No. Yeah, I don't think we're climbing up Mount Trashmore right now, which is like a landfill converted park in Virginia. But anywho, okay. Um, one thing is, uh, is there anything you know? Because I've coached little league before, but is there anything that Tyrod can do or the Giants can do to maybe change his launching point from the snap so that I know you don't want to put him too far back there because then the defensive ends can just meet him. You know where he's at six yards back. You got, your tackles are still getting beat. But is there anything they can do to help him out in that regard, to where maybe he doesn't have to take the ball, take so many uh, step backs? And you know, you have to. For my last point, you have to give some of these guys, especially Hyatt, those those fifty fifty balls. And when you construct a team, like I know on their the back of their card might say they're good at contested catches or not good at contested catches. I think we have guys that are decent at contested catches right now and we uh tyrod got to give him a chance which i think he's better at than uh jones is so all right james so giant yep appreciate the phone call i don't know if tyrod taylor uh is better at the long ball than than daniel jones i i would dispute that I, i don't think that's accurate what can you do you could try a real heavy dose of quick game perhaps and just tell Tyrod, look, everything is snap and get rid of it. But, of course, when you go to a heavy dose of that, the Bills are going to know, and they're going to get their arms up, and their their uh, secondary is going to play right up on the line and jam you, and you know that comes with a whole other set of problems. But it's one way to avoid getting your guy killed in the pocket. Well, I would agree with you. I think the last caller's point was you got to throw up those 50-50 balls, but that's assuming also that Taylor has an opportunity to allow Hyatt to develop the route, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, there's another caveat connected to that. That's why I'm a big proponent. They need explosive plays, but I think the explosive plays, Paul, have to come through Yak, 
short passes and then guys creating mm-hmm. after the catch. That to me, I think is the best way that would be for them helpful. to get some explosive plays. And the problem is, is Buffalo does play a bit of a zone. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to get a lot of man to man where maybe a guy slips and then you run past him. So the matchup is not ideal for that. But I think their best chance is try to get some of these guys in spaces within the zone to maybe turn a four-yard catch into a seven- or an eight-yard gain. Listen, if you could get three or four yards after the catch, at least you may be facing a second and three or a third and two, and that gives you a better chance to extend the drive. So if you're saying about, hey, keeping the expectations in check, well, I'm going with that narrative, but I'm saying that I think that at least could be feasible, and that I think is much more functional for the Giants as opposed to expecting the home run. I mean, Lance, here's the thing. Poyer and Hyde have been together. Oh, yeah. One of the better safety combinations in the NFL for several years. Without a doubt. And, you know, you can talk about some of the, the nicks and the bumps and the bruises they've had at corner, you know, in recent times. I understand that. But don't underestimate those two safeties. Even though they've got some years under their belts and they're no spring chickens anymore, those guys know what they're doing back there. In fact, very often, they're the ones who are lining up the defense. They're not even giving it to the linebackers. They're telling those two guys to line everybody up. These guys are incredibly experienced, smart, crafty. They're just good. (laughs) They're just really good. Yeah, I was actually, it's funny you brought that up. I was listening to Micah Hyde speak to the media earlier this week, and he mentioned that there were times where noise has become such a factor, which is not going to be an issue since they're playing at home, where because you brought up the fact that he sets the defense, he's had to run up to the linebackers in the defensive line and yell in the little hole, you know, on the side of the helmet. So yeah. that's an indication. No, that yeah. pretty much solidifies what you were talking Gee, about, Paul. The poor Bills. They've got all these problems, and they're averaging only 16 points allowed per game on defense. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. Real-world problems on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. All right, let's head back to the phone lines as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. we got Ryan in Virginia. Ryan, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm sure. kind of happy with um, you, John, um, Paul, and Lance were able to take this call because um, I only call like once or twice a year, uh, but – Kind of wanted to step away from the actual season, but from the entire Giants, you know, roster um, organization. From we've been bad for the past, you know, almost decade. And I was just looking around as far as like what has been, what's been keeping us at the bottom of the barrel. Um, one thing I wanted to pass along to you guys, um, just to get your reaction, and I know. Um, John and Paul, you guys have been inside the Giants organization for a while, and, and Lance, you do a lot of stuff, not only with the Giants, but around the NFL. But um, I looked into like roster building, organization building, things of that nature, and one thing that like that stood out was I looked at um, teams that are right now are, are ahead of the curve or the powerhouses in the NFC, like the, the 49ers and the Eagles. And if you look at their their roster um a lot of their best players are are draft picks so you look at the 49ers you got fred warner um nick bosa um debo samuel uh those type of guys even brandon Ayuk to a certain extent those guys have been you know drafted brought up within the organization and they've been really successful over the past couple of years and um you can make an argument um kind of like what paul and john have said over the years you can 
sprinkle, um, you know, making trades with picks for guys like Christian McCaffrey and, and Trent Williams, which was obviously a steal. Yeah, it needs Trent to be Williams a complementary piece. It can't be the main mode of building your roster. Yes, sir. Exactly, Lance. And that was going to my uh, to my next point, even with the Eagles, with their offensive line and guys that they brought up through the uh, through the system, even Carson Wentz to a certain extent. But one thing I wanted to pass along to you, and I wanted to get your reaction, and then Lance, um wanted to see if you kind of had an idea from a percentage standpoint from this number I'm about to lay out to you. Um, from 2010 to 2019, the New York Giants have had 71 draft picks. And out of those 71 draft picks, only 13 have been uh, signed to a second contract, which when I looked at that, I was just like, well, that that makes a lot of sense just because the draft picks that we that we've been drafting either haven't panned out, they haven't they haven't been developed the right way, but anytime you only get an 18% return on your initial initial investment, you're going to set yourself set yourself up for for failure. And out of those 13, four of them got second contracts from the 2019 um, draft class. So wanted to pass that along and see if you can. Um, get your reaction to it, especially um, you, Lance, because I know you work with um, a lot of the a lot of the other teams in the in the NFL as far as like your your show on Sirius XM. But um wanted to see pretty much from your standpoint, everybody's standpoint, kind of where is that from a percentage standpoint from your draft picks, where can you draw the line as far as how many guys you wanna hit on like each draft to continue not only to build that organization and Lance's favorite word, continuity, uh, to maintain a very successful organization and team. So All right, Ryan. I definitely appreciate you guys taking some time. Yep. Appreciate the phone call. Let me give you an extra ingredient, and then I want to get your answer to his call. I don't think it's just a matter of doing extremely well in the draft. I think it's a matter of the timing. Because here's the problem. If, let's say, over a five-year period, you have back-to-back years with a good draft, but then the other three years you don't. Salary cap-wise, you're going to get crushed because you'll have too many of those guys coming up within a year, year and a half, two-year period. And cap-wise, if they are any good and command the kind of money that they're going to command to be retained for a second contract, guess what? You're not going to be able to pay all of them. So what you have to do is not just have good drafts, but they've got to be balanced, Sure, in my opinion, over an extended period of time where they can't be top-heavy in one or two years and then lean and then good in a couple of years again because those peaks and valleys will kill you on the salary cap, and you're going to wind up losing good players. Well, and that's where the Eagles come into play what you're talking about because I think they're very effective in drafting players a year or two early before they actually start playing and anticipating they're going to lose somebody in free agency. Mm -hmm. So you look at the Jordan Reeds and the Jalen Carters, wasn't necessarily a position of need, Paul, but they realize Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, these guys are getting up there in age that they're going to not have those guys on the books very much longer. And then you can, to your point, reward these younger guys because of the way you staggered the draft. But as far as the percentage, I mean, I use Philly as the perfect example. Look at 
three guys in particular that they still have contributing on the roster. Brandon Graham was a first-round pick in 2010, Paul, okay? And he's still in the mix. <laughs> Jason Kelsey was their sixth-round pick in 2011. He's still anchoring the offensive line. Fletcher Cox was a first-round pick in 2012. Can you name me any Giants players? No. That were drafted that far no. back? That were still contributing six, seven years down the road? And that's not even where we're at with Philly. We're longer. So, you know, that is an outlier. I don't even think San Francisco has that type of a pedigree. So Philadelphia is not the ideal example because very few teams are able to duplicate right. that level of success. But what you were bringing up, I think Philadelphia implements effectively is they get ahead with saying, okay, two years from now, Fletcher Cox is going to have an expiring contract. He's getting up there in age. We don't think we may want to re-sign him. We'll draft so-and-so who plays the same position. And then we'll know we'll have still two years left on the rookie contract. And then we can make a splash signing. So I think that goes into what you're saying about timing. Yeah. yeah. Because you could have three straight great years. And all of a sudden you're left with seven or eight draft picks. You can't afford to keep everybody. Right. And then you have two or three down years. And you're not making up for the guys that you've had to trade exactly. or let go. So it's really it's a combination of anticipating but also, you need to be able to do it continuously, not just in these bunches. And then on top of that, if you overpay free agents who bust, now that's less money you have in your pocket to try to retain as many of those young, productive draft picks who you've taken in the draft. Or go after free agents on the street to try to fill in as so well. So this is, there's yeah. always, it's always a spider web. Remember that. I've been saying this for decades. I, I love the NFL because it's a spider web. You can't just make one easy capsulized statement and say, this is what it is. No, it's a spider web. The one thing, though, I will say that's a common element for Philly, San Francisco, and Dallas to a certain extent as well is the impactful players on the roster are coming through the draft. And that's important, Paul, no matter when you select them. So, for example, if you use San Francisco, the caller was bringing up Debo, Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk. But let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Nick Bosa, drafted. Okay, Eric Armstead, mm -hmm. drafted. Fred Warner, drafted. Mm -hmm. I named you three key ingredients on the defensive side of the ball. They didn't come through trades. They didn't come through free agency. And Philadelphia, we could sit here and name a plethora of guys on each side. So that, to me, is the biggest takeaway. If you look at the Giants over the course of what the caller was referencing, 2010, a lot of impactful players at times have come from outside the homegrown organization field. And that's a problem because that trend just cannot be maintained. Right. So that's something else that I think differentiates all of these franchises that we were talking about. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We got Elliot in California joining us. What's happening, Elliot? What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you guys doing, man? Doing right. Uh, so in the light of the holiday, uh, this just because of the conversation yesterday, Paul, you were, I think, Paul, you are talking about the perfect storm. And to me, the season... This is because I'm, I'm talking about this because of Friday the 13th. Today's Friday the 13th. Oh, I was going to ask, Stop what back. holiday is it? Now you clarify. I didn't know that was a holiday. Okay, it's, fair enough. Our, our season, our season, it's, I feel like it almost ended week one. I mean, it's such bad luck. First of all, I don't think, I can't remember the last time we won a rain game. I cannot remember the last time we won a rain game. I was so confident going into the Cowboys game for so many months, like, yes, we're going to beat them. And as soon as I mm -hmm. found out, hour before the game that it was raining i told my buddies like it's over we don't have a shot <laughs> okay well, in, in fairness though that would be the last thing that i would bring to the top of the list Elliot, yeah. as to why they lost that game I, I i understand that but i just i don't know maybe you guys can comment on rain games or 
why we're so we do so poorly in ranked games. But you know, it's just to me also commenting on your last question. It's a it's it's a lot of luck. We're talking about bad luck. Five thirteen. There's a lot of luck involved. A sure lot there of teams is. they draft they draft well, but they get lucky on players. You just mentioned Kelsey, sixth round. You know how many teams passed him up and didn't even think twice about him. Okay, so. It's well, but but luck. see, Elliot, here's where I disagree with yeah. you. It's also developing the player, though. To yeah. your point, you get yeah, Kelsey okay. in the sixth Agreed. round, but then you yeah. develop him that's over true. the course of the years in which you have him in the organization. So that's where I would disagree with you about labeling it simply as luck. You got to get the okay. guy in your building, and then it's what you do with the player. And the Eagles have done a yeah. really nice job developing the talent. That goes with it halfway. Yeah, and that's why I'm a little biased because I am such a diehard. Giants fan, and I believe this is a world-class organization, and I believe in all of our trainers and our coaching staff, and it's hard to believe that these guys can't coach up players as well as other teams. I just don't believe that. And I know I feel like a lot of it comes down to luck because of injuries as well. We deal with injuries in key positions every season. Our whole season was dependent, sadly, this is a sad thing to say, but it was dependent on Andrew Thomas being there, at least for the first six games so we can get through it and understand our system and have people work around him and learn the system and our new offensive linemen gel together. But losing Andrew Thomas week one destroyed our season. He's our anchor. He builds the offensive line. Well, the the Barkley injury was just about as impactful. And to be frank with you, no, to be frank with you, though, to be frank with you, and I'm not trying to to, to go back and dig up old wounds here, and I know that Lance is going to want to push me off my soapbox. That's what happens with your salary cap. Okay, let's just make it very, very clear. There's a salary cap. You can't put the kind of money you want to put into the depth chart because the salary cap won't let you. This league is meant, it's always meant to try to force parity as much as possible and to not allow you to build a long-term powerhouse, which is why Bill Belichick and the Patriots are so incredible for what they did for so long. Yeah, they are an outlier. They are an outlier because... These teams you just mentioned, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Niners, they weren't always this dominant. A like, few years we, ago, they were horrible. They were horrible. We played the Niners. We played the Niners when they were horrible. They, now they're dominant. Okay, but before we've been dominant, it comes with ebb and flows. It's a part of the game. I just I can't stand when people just trash this team about everything we're going through, but there's so much involved. Like you said, it's a cobweb. There's so much involved. Like Madam Webb, if you guys know the Marvel Universe, she – she would know there's so much involved, the intricacies in this sport. But my last point is, Paul, the yeah. perfect storm, great reference, but I want to hear something else. Is it what happened this season? Did we drop the whole plate of spaghetti on the floor? The meatballs go under the oven. We can't uh, get the You want a, the food the analogy? Is that where you're going with Elliot? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. As if we needed to open up another door for Detino to jump into here. I got no program. food for you today, yeah. my friend. The perfect storm really describes this as well as anybody could. I I don't have a food analogy for you at all. If, if, well, yeah, all right, all right. Pineapple pizza. That's about as disgusting and as criminal as it gets. Okay? So, yes, there there's a food analogy for you. This is pineapple pizza. That should never, ever happen, ever. I thought you were going to go to something, you know, maybe you leave the big ziti in the oven too long and it's burnt too much, okay? Like that, to me, would have held true. Because there are people, I don't, but there are people that like pineapple pizza, so they're not going to necessarily relate 
to what you're selling is all I'm throwing That's out. That's their problem. Well, okay. That's fine. I just thought you'd maybe go and to by something the way, that everyone can it depends to. on how badly the big ziti is burnt. No, well, there could be It could good. be a little bit I'll burnt you and you could still okay. salvage some of it. Fine, but it may not be as fluid and tasty as perhaps you're used to in terms of the consumption. A few things I want to add with respect to what the last caller said. The difference, though, between Philly, San Francisco and Dallas is, yes, there were times where they had down years, but they tend to put together years of consistency. And the Giants have struggled in that department, meaning the Giants have had years where it's one year of a flash where you make the playoffs and then three or four years where it's down and then another year of a flash and then three or four years. Those other organizations, I think, have been better in terms of showcasing consistency. Just remember this, though. The 2016 playoff team was totally different than the 22 playoff team. The 16 playoff team was bought. Janoris Jenkins, right? Free agency. A lot of heavy lifting. And snacks. Yep. Right? Olivia Olivia Vernon. Vernon. Yep. They bought that playoff season. And we all should have realized sooner rather than later that it was going to be a short-lived fantasy because uh, that's not the way to really build uh, sustained success. This team in 22 was done much more the conventional way. Sure. So they should have had a better chance to bounce back in the, in the following season. Well, I'm just going with the facts in terms of the consistency not showing up. I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily making a differentiation. I agree with you, your assessment that the way the teams were constructed, very different. But the other thing that I would point out, the caller brought up once Andrew Thomas went down, you know, that was the end-all, be-all. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. But, Paul, if you remember, we had a show but before Barkley the But Barkley on top of, of it is what really did it. Well, I, I agree with you. But what I was going to get to is we had a show, I think it was the Monday on Labor Day before the season started. Remember we were talking about what has to exceed expectations in order for the season to go better than expected. And one of the things I brought up was the interior of the offensive line, that that group Mm -hmm. has to be solid with both pass protection and run blocking. And yes, they've had some injuries, but also the level of efficiency has not been anywhere where it needs to be. Uh, so, that goes for the whole line, not just the interior. No, no, I'm with you, but my point is, and I don't know if I was on with you, maybe I was on with John or other hosts, where I said, even with Andrew Thomas coming back, he's not playing four other positions on the offensive line. No, ball. he's not. So the impact, my point is, that he's going to have, even when he returns, is only going to go so far. The other players mm-hmm. need to That's be true. able to assume their roles and win their individual battles. So I understand you never want to lose your left tackle, but when you look at what's gone wrong in the early stages of the season, to me it goes much deeper than the absence of Andrew Thomas. You know what's really odd about this whole thing? I was very heavily worried about the special teams' coverage units. And that was another part of the dialogue right? we had on that Monday and show. And somehow, yeah. somehow, when they brought in Taiwan Jones for the first couple of weeks and Florida activated Raider. him in the yep. regular season, he was a significant boost to them. And then, of course, they wound up waving him, and they didn't have any more room for him. But just a couple of weeks he was here, he influenced those guys. But the number one reason that that didn't become a problem any longer is because Nick McLeod came back. McLeod has been dominant on special teams coverage. You see him, he picked it up a notch. I said, when McLeod gets back, he's going to have to raise his level. You see him in the screen almost every single time time at the end of a punt either he's forcing a fair catch or he's there to help down the ball 
I mean, he he's definitely uh he's the he's one of the few guys on this team who decided, you know what? I'm going to play better this year than than even you've seen in the past. I think he's taken a step up. I pre- I appreciate what he's done. Well, the last thing the Giants can afford right now is to have setbacks on special teams and give up valuable field positioning and put their defense or their offense in a precarious spot. So when we're not talking about the special teams unit, much like the offensive line, mm-hmm. I'd say that's a good thing because if you remember against Seattle, we were talking about special teams. And part of that was the penalties and the mishaps. So we weren't having that much of a dialogue in the Dolphins game about special teams. Well, I'm talking about the coverage units in yeah. particular. Uh, in in uh, we've had we've seen the block field goal return for a touchdown, right? Well, but the Seattle game was everything. It was we we saw we saw, saw rough in the kicker. Yep. All right. We we've seen uh, full starts holding holding. Yep. We've seen a bunch of stuff. Yep. But just strictly in terms of covering kicks. Look, that's just one thing that they wiped off of, of my stress my stress list because McLeod's been that good. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Rocco in New York joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Rocco? Hey, what's up, guys? Um, you know, I'd have to agree with you, Lance. Those teams, those teams that the previous caller mentioned, they have consistency. The Giants haven't had consistency. You build consistency through drafting, and the Giants have not drafted well. I would even have to question last year's draft some of the players that Shane took I still I'm not going to knock him but you know even Wondell Robinson very small guy seems to get dazed every time he's hit and gets injured and they picked him pretty high I don't think he was on anyone's radar definitely you know you guys never mentioned him on your pre-draft talk so I mean some of these draft choices have been a concern I mean even the signing of Paris Campbell I mean I haven't really seen much you know I I mean well, in, in fairness, listen, Rocco, I don't mean to cut you off. I think it goes back to what we were talking about with Jalen Hyatt, where there just has not been at bats. I mean, how many times, just off your top of your head, how many times have they thrown deep to Paris Campbell in any game not, this season? Oh, so, none. You're so, right. No, no, so you're, you're I, right. I'm going to let you continue, Rocco, but I think that really answers your point. I just don't think there's enough to truly evaluate what potential impact he could have had. He's with, basically become the pseudo running play. Uh, That's what Paris yeah. Campbell's become. They use him out of the backfield here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you guys are right, and I and I give you that. It's a fair point. I just think there could have been some better, you know, picks. I, I, it's hard, you know, it, it's hard to, the day after to say this, but it's just my opinion. You know, you build through the draft. I think everyone realizes that in the NFL, it's all about draft. The Giants have had a hard time, you know, drafting. It seems like and. When it comes, you know, when it comes down to it, now I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer and just throw this season away, but we have to really be honest, guys. They're not going to the playoffs, you know. It's, and I think last year was kind of a fake year. I mean, they really only beat Jack. I mean, Jacksonville. Jacksonville was the only team they beat. That you know, even Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota was kind of a similar team. Not really, not really a real good team. Kind of kind of faked out their fans. So I don't know if they kind of misinterpreted this year with the tough schedule and we're getting the effects of it now. But, I mean, I know this is a hard question for you guys, you know, to bring up. But the only real person on the team with possible trade value, now, you know, I, I just, to be fair, just be honest, if a team like Buffalo did offer, you know, a high draft pick. Let's let's get crazy. And they offered, you know, they went for it and they offered a second round pick. I mean, 
I, I would have to say we have to do it. We, we, I mean, I love the guy. I think he's a great teammate. I mean, I'm not big because there are so many running backs in college that are good. I, I, I just I just like to get your opinion, honestly. I mean, I know it's hard for you guys to truly say it because he is on the Giants, but, I mean, what are we doing here? If a team, you know, he's the guy that has the value, you know, it looks like we're going to have to rebuild a little more than we thought. All right, Rocco. Uh, you know, I, well, I'll leave it at that and, and hear you guys out. Yeah. I appreciate it. And appreciate the call. Thanks Thank for giving you. us a ring. With respect to Barkley, just from a hypothetical, a second-round pick for a running back in this market I don't know. That may be asking for way too much in terms of value, regardless of what you think of the player, especially when you have to also give that player a contract, remember, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with Barkley. And I brought this up when we were talking about it in the offseason. Just like Christian McCaffrey with the Niners, you have to get the player and give him a deal. And when teams have to do that, they're not willing to give up with his high draft capital, Paul, because they know there's another side of the equation. So with Barkley, you know he was given the franchise tag. He does not have a long-term contract. Anyone that takes him on, I find it hard to believe that they're just going to rent him for the second half of the season. I would think you'd want to take him on with the possibility of utilizing him moving forward. So mm -hmm. that complicates his trade value around the league. The Giants may value him one way. It doesn't mean the rest of the league has the same equivalency. Plus, you have to also take into consideration the injury baggage and him not holding up durability-wise. I think that impacts his potential value as well. I could not agree more. I mean, it's not a conversation that uh, I don't think anybody really wants to have. But, but there's always two sides to the coin when you're even discussing a potential deal. The first one is, what is his value to your team? And the second one is, what is his value to the rest of the league? Those two things could be very different. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the other thing, speaking of the value to the team, I think the Giants, the only way to me that you entertain moving a player at the deadline, Paul, is if you know right now there's no possibility that you're bringing that player back. If there's a chance you may want to bring the player back and you look at that player as a key ingredient moving forward, depending on the evaluation— I don't think you get rid of talent for the sake of getting rid of talent, okay? The football world doesn't work where you get rid of all 53 guys and you bring in a new 53. <laughs> the Giants, as they move forward, they're going to have to work with a big part of the core that they currently have on this roster. Mm -hmm. And whether or not Saquon is part of that equation or not, that's in the eyes of the beholder right now, which is the Giants' front office. But just because the record is not what they expected doesn't mean you start parting ways with talent left and right, is my point. Look at it this way. If you want to take the negative scenario that says this season is not going to go anywhere, if you want to go that way right now, okay, you certainly have the prerogative to do so. You're probably, probably going to value Barkley more than the outside world will because he's been in your building and he's yep. done some really good things before. And you know that when he's at his best, he is a tremendously important part of your offense so what's the harm in letting the season play out seeing if, if he can get back to being Barkley and then you have a decision to make you have the opportunity to tag him again if you like or you know what you sit down with him and you say look you've seen the market you know what it is for running backs we've already been through this once before uh can we make a reasonable deal with you that's going to work for both of us and keep you around with the thought that you will, will 
most likely be a hell of a lot healthier next year and in the next couple of years to come, or at least a year or two down the road. You know what? At least there's something to gain from that. I don't know that if you entertain a deal for him right now, you could talk all you want about getting a pick, but I got a feeling it's going to be less than what you would ask for. And I don't know that the potential return for that pick is going to be better than Barkley's upside if he stays. Well, because if you're going to get a pick, which clearly would be the ultimate goal, I think if you're going to part ways with a player like that, you need to say, how does that help your organization moving forward? And if a team's not going to give you a pick that you think could do damage in bringing in a talent, then, Paul, I'm with you. I think it's better off you hold on to the player. Chances are, see things play out. because of his injury history, at the very least, your best you're going to do is some type of conditional pick. Yeah, based on production in right. the second half of the season or something like at that. At best. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that's what, more of a reason. A four with a conditional three? I mean, I don't. Is that going to help your organization overwhelmingly? I don't think so. Where that one pick you're going to utilize? I just don't. I would agree I with think, you. I think you're better off holding on to the player, hoping that you can get him back to full health toward the end of the season where he shows you that he can still be that guy. And then you try to see what you can do moving forward with him. Paul, you know what? A quick side note to this. You got me thinking. I would think if you're going down, and this, once again, is a hypothetical conversation, it may benefit the Giants more if they're going to trade a player. Not only do you get a pick, maybe you can get a younger player elsewhere who's still at the developmental phase that can help you as opposed to... Because remember, the draft picks are unknown. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're going to utilize them. Mm-hmm. You don't know how the player... If you could get somebody that maybe maybe worn out their welcome with the other team is not the appropriate phrase, but maybe they're just not clicking with their current organization, but they're young enough that if they come into your system, maybe you take a flyer on that player on top of a draft pick. I think that may be more beneficial to the Giants, especially where they're at at this current junction. I I would favor keeping them. That's all. Yeah, well, I mean, once again, I told you how the running back market is not overwhelming. I find it hard to believe you're going to get a high pick, especially if a team did not lose a running back. Right? You also need to find the team right. that really wants to bring in a player like that and is also in a position to knock on the door of the playoffs. Marty is in Manahawken, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Marty? What do you got for us? Hey, Lance. How you doing? Hey, Paul. Doing right. Well, I agree with you. Pineapple pizza is tragic. It's a tragedy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh I think this is coming back to haunt us now with our draft department. I mean, for years we had the same scouts, the same uh, people in the scouting department, and I tend to think they got complacent and doing their work and and going out and doing their scouting to the schools and stuff. It just seems like uh, we we do pick – we hit on one or two players, and then that's it. After that, there's nobody nobody else that comes in and – you know, like surprises. The only the only kid that might have surprised us was getting that six year that six round pick, that kid Hawkins. But other than that, um, I mean, in the past, it's it just seems like we haven't we haven't drafted people that we could hold on to that we're gonna we're gonna be there for a while. And and I do agree with you that this uh, uh, free agency has, has ruined people trying to build their teams. So that's that's really all I have to say. All right, well, appreciate the phone call, Marty. He brought up free agency. Just a real quick example. So the Denver Broncos go out 
They got what? Randy Gregory and Frank Clark this offseason. Paul, both of them are no longer on the team. Correct. They even last six games into the season. I'm not bringing that up so Giants fans can feel any better about what's going on around the league. The point is, looking around the league, I think, does provide perspective. And sometimes we need more of that, especially on a show pertaining to just the Giants. So Denver's a team. They went aggressively to help their pass rush, and both of the guys did not last half the season. So that's why that's a dangerous road. As far as the last caller's point about the picks, you know, I'm just looking through some of the recent drafts and a guy like Darian Beavers, who had a lot of upside, right, and versatility. Unfortunately, what happens? He tears his ACL and then just never regrouped from that standpoint. And you look at some of these other late picks. I mean, even Marcus McKeithen, who has gotten on the field this year, but he lost his entire first year in the league mm-hmm. because of an injury. Set too. him back. Yeah, a lot of these late picks, for some reason, just could not stay on the field. And I think that stunted their development so you didn't see the level of impact that you were hoping sooner rather than later. Even Dane Belton, to be honest with you, Another when, guy they, that's when, dealt they, with when they took him, yeah. I think there was a, he was lot, a, fourth round pick. a lot more yeah. upside, even as a fourth-rounder. That, that people were hoping to get out of him, and because of various injuries, limited his development, limited his numbers of snaps, and, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe he's going to be counted on even more next season if uh, if the safety spot opens up. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think uh, you know, there's a lot of upside there that they'd like to tap into, and sometimes you just never get a chance to do it. And unfortunately, the Giants right now are undermanned going into Buffalo to play the Bills on Sunday Night Football. We'll be back on Monday to recap the contest as we also look ahead to the next game for the Giants. It's amazing. Time flies here in this NFL season, already six games in. And I know. A lot of ups and downs occurring. And we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere, as well as Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. And we'll speak to you on Monday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.